Hello and welcome to Radio Edgy Talk. This is David Noble in Delgetty Bay, Fife in Scotland and I'm delighted to welcome to the show this evening Guy Claxton. Guy, welcome to Radio Edgy Talk. Thank you, David. Pleasure to be here. Uh, and over the next uh, 15 minutes or so, we're going to be hearing about your new book, Powering Up Children, The Learning Power Approach to Primary Teaching. Uh, before we do that, Guy, could you just give listeners a brief background to your career? Uh, sure. I'm uh, uh, originally um, an academic psychologist or a cognitive, as they call us these days. I uh, worked most of my life in universities doing teacher training uh, and in-service development with teachers. Uh, but mostly my, my work has revolved around, for 30 years or more, around developing, first of all, the scientific underpinnings of the idea of learning to learn. What does that really mean? Uh, how, how, to what extent is learning itself a learnable craft, and then working with practitioner colleagues to turn that platform of uh, scientific understanding into some very specific, very practical uh, guidance, advice, techniques, uh, and frameworks that teachers can use to tweak their teaching so that they are not only helping kids get the grades they can as best they can, but doing it in a way that builds their capacity to be curious and independent learners. And so the, the book came, uh, or the, the new book follows on from the, learner, the Learning Power Approach uh, book. So I just wonder, Guy, if you want to start by taking us through the Learning Power Approach before we actually talk about the new book. Uh, yes, certainly. Um, Perhaps I can, I can tell you, the, the, the books that you're referring to, David, are a series of four, or, or possibly at the moment. The Learning Power Approach is a coming together. It's, a, it's a tra- trying to synthesize what's emerging as a, as a very powerful and well-developed been emerging in different research centers and practitioner centers around the world, in Australia and America, South America, Asia, uh, Europe, and the UK about how to teach in a way that, it, that achieves two objectives, helping kids develop their literacy, numeracy, get the grades they're going to need, hitting the targets of what people call traditional education, but doing that in a way, creating a classroom vibe, a classroom atmosphere, which hits those targets in a way that systematically builds young people's capacity and relish for taking on more responsibility for planning and organizing and managing and troubleshooting learning for themselves. The trouble with traditional education has been that you can get good grades through a traditional teacher-led approach to teaching. But the risk that runs, and we've seen this in many, many thousands of young people, is that young people pick up a set of attitudes towards learning which are rather extrinsically motivated um, and dependent, too dependent and too docile, too dependent on the teacher to do all the organizing and planning and evaluating for them. And in this approach, it just seems to us to be obvious that that's not a particularly good preparation for a learning life. You need to be able to do those things for yourselves. So what I've been doing in, my, in this recent work is just trying to distill out 
the essence of what these different research groups have been developing and present it to teachers in a very practical way. The first book was The Bones, The Science, The Framework. Powering Up Children, the second book, is specifically designed for primary school teachers. Then this year we'll have Powering Up Students for secondary school teachers. And then probably in early 2020, a book for school leaders called Powering Up Your School about how to work uh, systematically to develop the whole school culture that lies behind this approach. So can you take us through the design principles then of the, the learning power approach and, and how you've actually kind of brought these to life, I suppose, in your new book? Uh, yes, certainly. I mean, I think one of, the, one, one of the concerns that I've had with many worthwhile initiatives around the world, including Curriculum for Excellence in Scotland, is that it's very, it's very good on articulated ambitions, the kinds of young people, kinds of dispositions, uh, particularly towards learning, that we're trying to help people develop, but not so clear yet on how the hard-pressed teacher is expected to be different in, in a variety of different kinds of ways, uh, in... Uh, how they lay out the classroom in the layout of the furniture. What difference does that make to the to young people's developing attitudes to learning? What about the way we write reports or the way we mark? What about the way you choose examples of students' work to go on the walls of the classroom? Uh, what about your own modeling of learning in the classroom? Is it a good thing to try and seem to be all-knowing to the students, or is it a better thing to model someone who often doesn't know, who has to struggle to master things, and so on? In other words, to make the classroom lead to lead by your example, to make the classroom a safe space for children themselves to grapple and struggle and put in the hard yards that it takes uh, to be a powerful learner. So in the book, we lay out a set of very clear design principles that teachers can just gradually embed in their practice in order to shift the what I call the mood music of the classroom from one of getting right answers, feeling satisfied with a page full of ticks, to uh, uh, an atmosphere which celebrates children's ability and their inclination to take more charge of their own learning, to be more independent, to take more responsibility. So the, it revolves around, the learning power approach revolves around this framework of the design principles, and then also a quite a detailed specification of actually what the dispositions, the habits of mind of the powerful learner are. With those two frameworks, we can really provide a lot of very doable, practical guidance for busy classroom teachers without breaking their backs, without them saying, oh my goodness, here comes another new initiative that I've got to get my head around. This is about just gradually embedding small tweaks in your practice week by week so that you create that shift in the classroom. And I wonder to, to what extent, Guy, is the, are the principles applicable in, in your experience right across the primary curriculum? Uh, well, we've tried to make them as applicable as possible, both across ages but also across different subjects. Um, for example, developing sort of templates or designs. Um, one of the contributors to this school of thought to the learning power approach is a very powerful chain of schools 
uh, in the U.S. called now called the E.L. Education Schools, or originally the Expeditionary Learning Schools, um, and they've developed some very powerful uh, protocols or design templates which work not just across primary but across secondary uh, too, which just provide a sort of ready-made structure that teachers can work to, which encourages children to be developing these attitudes of resilience and responsibility, creativity, imagination, collaboration, reflection, and so on. And you certainly get the, the impression that you're very much on the side of the teacher's guy in, 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 term, in the terms that uh, uh, you actually uh, sort of foretell uh, obstacles or, or issues that uh, teachers might face along the way in embedding these approaches. Yes, absolutely. My wonderful co-author uh, on the learning power, oh, oh, sorry, on powering children, uh, Becky Carlson, and she is uh, both really dedicated, but also extremely mindful through her own experience of the fact that you know things never run as smoothly as you wanted. They sometimes don't work first time that teachers are busy and harassed they've got 101 things to think about so the book is really as absolutely becky and i have tried to make it as i suppose the phrase might be teacher friendly as possible each chapter in the book for example has a section called bumps along the way which is you know it this may sound like a good idea and we've presented you with lots of little practical things that you can do in the classroom but what do you do if the kids don't jump at the chance or some children are more reluctant, more hesitant, or if uh, there isn't immediate buy-in. So we've tried to get inside the teacher's mind and make the book as, I was going to say non-demanding. It is demanding in a way because it is underpinned by a shift in philosophy, which will be very familiar to teachers in Scotland through the Curriculum for Excellence. But it's trying to just space that out and provide a sort of developmental journey for the teacher as much as for the children so that this isn't, you know, just another set of straws to bake the, break the camel's back, but something that teachers will, will read through the book and go, oh, I could do that. Oh, that's what you mean. Oh, that's not too arduous. Oh, I could do that with one of my groups tomorrow. That's the, the response that we hope we'll get from the book. I suppose what what must make the series stand out then, guy from other uh, you know what what might be termed kind of top tips for teachers is that everything is related to uh, you know kind of ongoing research studies and you've you've kind of gathered many of these together. It's what what we've tried to do. What what excites me about this approach, David, is that it's not only grounded in it's grounded in good cognitive science. It's grounded in our developing understandings, for example, our change in the way we think about intelligence as something that is itself learnable, uh, inspired by researchers Carol uh, Weck and uh, David Yeager uh, and so on. Um, but also, uh, as I say, building uh, a framework which is coherent, which is saying there is a philosophy, there is a coherent philosophy. It's not just a collection of rather random tips for teachers, but you can see how all these little shifts in 
in the teacher's behavior and their focus of attention in the classroom, how they're all adding up to something that is really a really powerful shift in the kind of undertow, the culture of the classroom, which is gradually building young people's both their capacity and their confidence, but also their relish, their disposition for jumping into the driving seat of their own learning and for helping teachers see how they can build that capacity so that it's very unthreatening for teachers, this idea that we're gradually helping students develop the capacity to share responsibility with us, the teachers, for designing and managing what's going on in the classroom. And when you see that building in small steps, it's really exciting. And what kind of response have you had from the profession to this series so far? Uh, very powerful. I mean, you can see in the uh, the endorsements and the ded- dedications that we've had in these two books how teachers from round round the world uh, just really get this. I mean, people say, or they often say with a bit of surprise, well, it's just common sense, isn't it? And it is common sense, but unfortunately in lots of schools, particularly still in England, I'm afraid to say, it's uncommon common sense. Uh, and uh, uh, it's also uh, something that that sings to teachers' hearts, that speaks to most to teachers' reasons for going into teaching in the first place. Most teachers didn't go into teaching just to grind grades out of children and and be involved in crowd control. They wanted to help children grow and flourish and develop at the level of their character, at the well as at the level of their grades and their literacy and their numeracy. And I think what's going on around the world is the development of this kind of third way. It's not progressive. It's not laissez-faire. It's not ill-formed. It's not some sort of child-centered ideology. But neither is it traditional, back-to-basics, rigor and knowledge-based and rather disdainful or suspicious of anything to do with the development of character. What's, What's exciting about being a teacher at this at the beginning of the 21st century is that there is this powerful, well-evidenced, well-documented, coherent philosophy which draws together pedagogy, curriculum, school leadership, approaches to assessment and says here's a model which really does get kids ready for complicated responsibilities of life in the 21st century. And just finally, Guy, um, could you give us an idea about where uh, the best places are to to find uh, the new book and and indeed the series and also uh, what you're up to at the moment? I would imagine the focus will be on the the next book in the series, but is (laughs) there anything else that listeners should know about? Yes, sure. I mean, the the book's available, you know, as they say, in all good bookshops. It's on Amazon uh, and other uh, online booksellers. Uh, The publisher is Crown House, a wonderful uh, publishing house in based in South Wales, actually, that really punches above its weight. Uh, both not only produces beautifully, beautifully made books and beautifully illustrated books, but books that are really accessible and really practical uh, for teachers. Uh, what's going on at the moment is uh, we are, we're just putting the dotting the I's and crossing the T's for the secondary school teachers' book which we're very excited about because sometimes secondary school teachers find it harder to get their heads around this approach. They're so much under pressure from, from the, to get the grades from high-stakes testing. 
become more invested in the subject content, the silos of their own subjects. Uh, and this book, again, will be a very teacher-friendly way of how to teach your chemistry or your Spanish or your computer studies or whatever it might be, just in a slightly different way. And now we're also putting together uh, with my co-authors the, uh, the book for school leadership, because, of course, you could have isolated teachers shifting their practice. But if there isn't a general shift in the mood music of the whole school, then there's much less power to that than there could be. If children, as they move across different subjects in the school and they move through the years as they go up in the school, if there's a common ethos, a common core, a common language that teachers are speaking, then that raises the power of what teachers are doing to a different level. So uh, I'm very excited about working on that book for school leaders right now. Guy, thank you so much for taking time out this evening to talk to us on Radio Edutalk and wish all the very best to, to you and your co-authors for the, the rest of the series and we'd like to welcome you back on Radio Edutalk any time. Thank you. Thank, thank you very much indeed. It's been a pleasure and good luck to all the wonderful teachers in Scotland as they develop their own practice. Thanks very much.